The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In the second chapter, beginning at the 15th verse. When the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. Please join me in prayer. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? O Lord, our governor, how excellent is your name in all the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. What is in a name? What is in a name? Um, there's a lot that goes into naming a child, isn't there? My wife and I have had many discussions about that, as we expect our third at the end of January. And um, we've got some names in, in mind, but I can't share them with you now. But perhaps as you consider what's in a name, you might also remember your parents, or at the very least you saw this in movies, when you went away out of the house saying to you, remember, son, or remember, daughter, that you are a Templeton, or whatever your name might be. Remember that you carry the name of this family. Right? Anybody have that speech? You've at least seen it, right? In one way or another, perhaps it was softened than that, softer than that. But we bear names, don't we? And those names matter, because names are important things. And names were much more important in some ways in the ancient world. I could go through and note chapter and verse all the names in the Bible, right? where God gives names and changes names in accordance with people's calling and identity. I won't do that. In many ways, today's readings are a continuation of those introduced in the fourth week of Advent. On the fourth Sunday of Advent, we had the theme, if you recall, of God building a temple to what? The glory of of his name, building a temple to the glory of his name. And if you were not here to hear that sermon, as you may have been traveling or whatnot, it's available on the YouTube channel, and I commend it to you. 
But the theme that was prevalent in that sermon were the three temples to house God's name. The first is the physical temple and its later iterations, right? The temple that Solomon built where God's name and glory came to dwell and the temples afterwards. The second was the temple of St. Mary the Virgin, the blessed mother of our Lord, the bearer of God, the holder of God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ, which of course was the center of that text as we prepared for Christmas. And then finally, there was a third temple mentioned. And that temple is the temple of the baptized Christian, the temple of each one of us as the faithful, where God truly does dwell. In the readings commemorating the Feast of the Circumcision in the Holy Name of our Lord, scheduled for tomorrow, we focus on the Holy Name of Jesus. And we see Jesus as three things also. Number one, the bearer of God's name that fulfills the covenant. Number two, the temple of God's name for all time. And number three, the bestower of God's name to the repentant. I'll say those again because those are the focuses of this morning. The bearer of God's name, the temple of God's name, the bestower of God's name are all found in Jesus Christ. The three are reflections of the Advent 4 texts. It's like a mirror that we're looking at with Christmas in the center. All right, I know that's hard to visualize, and, and we as 21st century Americans have a really hard time even keeping a week worth in our heads, maybe even a couple days worth. But what Scripture and what the lectionary here is doing is saying, look, there's this mirror going on talking about temples to the glory of God's name. And so these three reflections we see in God's name in the readings today. But let's start with the gospel. There's a lot of confusion about what the gospel is today, isn't it? When people say the word gospel, many see it as a synonym for comfort or just kindness, right? You've heard that. We hear that a lot this time of the year. Others see it as good works, right? The gospel's doing good works. If I had a dollar for every time I heard the false saying attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that goes this way, preach the gospel and when necessary use words, I would be a rich man. Francis never said that. Thank God. For that would be utterly wrong. Some see the gospel that way, however. And some see the gospel as a political agenda, perhaps synonymous with the liberal agenda, or the conservative agenda or values. Too rarely do Christians see the Word of God, see who Jesus is as demonstrated in the Holy Scriptures for who He is. And who He is is plenty. It's a wonder that those outside the church, I I should ask, is it a wonder that those outside the church are confused or just give up? from time to time, when we can't even get our own story straight as the church. Now, it's true, lest we get depressed, the church has always fought such battles, but the gospel is clear. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to save, as we just sang. 
In today's Gospel, there is that clarity carrying forth from the Christmas Eve Gospel, defining Jesus as two things, very simply. Number one, as Savior, and number two, as Anointed Lord. Look at it with me. One, reading, one book that I was reading this week points out that this is actually the shortest Gospel of the year. And in fact, the lectionary writers um, add verses 15 up to verse 21 just to make it a little longer and give some context. Right? Because we heard these before, these verses before. Verse 21, And at the, eight, the end of the eight days, when he, that is Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The single verse holds those two momentous points, the center of the gospel, that Jesus is the Savior and the anointed Lord. And the first point, that he's the Savior, has to do with the fact that he's named Jesus, which means God saves. The second point has to do with the fact that he is the anointed Lord. That's a little bit more obscure. But let's think about it today. For Jesus is good news first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. First to God's chosen people of the Old Testament and then to the nations as we'll celebrate as Epiphany comes next week. Jesus keeps the Hebrew covenant. Jesus keeps the Jewish, the Abrahamic specifically, covenant in being circumcised on the eighth day. The bearer of God's name thus fulfills the covenant. And when I say that he fulfills it, I don't just mean that Jesus abides by it or follows it, although of course Mary and Joseph do, but what I mean is Jesus literally fulfills it, fills it up completes it, completes it. you see the difference? In Genesis chapter 17, after the Lord God Almighty has established His covenant with Abraham, and you remember the story, right? Mo, uh, um, Abraham in chapter 15 has this vision of God, and there's this interesting imagery of a pot of fire going through the halves of the animal. It, 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 that itself is its own sermon. But... God promises Abraham that he'll be the father of a multitude and then gives him this vision and then in chapter 17 tells him that circumcision will be the sign of this covenant, that God is with him, will bless him, and will make him a father of nations. God promises to make that covenant between Abraham and his descendants forever and that kings will come from his line. And with that covenant comes all kinds of good things. The covenant of circumcision. Fruitfulness and prosperity comes with it. Land comes with it. But most importantly, God's blessing comes with it. God's almighty good favor is what blessing is. God's looking at him with the intent of making him increase. A relationship with God is at the center of that covenant. And so circumcision is a sign of that covenant. And God instructs that on the eighth day, 
all males must be circumcised. There's a great deal surrounding that ritual, again, which is its own sermons. But while God establishes that covenant and circumcision as a sign, there's another component in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, that's important not to look at, that is important to look at, rather. And it's a moral one. For before God gives Abraham this covenant, he says, walk before me and be blameless. If I had a mic, I would drop it. Walk before me and be blameless, says the Lord. All right. Who can keep that? Can Abraham keep that? Moses? King David? All of the greats of the Old Testament? All of the not-so-greats of the Old Testament? No, of course not. Can you or I keep that? No, of course not. And yet, that's what God asks Abraham, Abram, changed to Abraham, to do. And Abraham, rightly, falls down on his face. Boom. He has the right reaction. I can't do that. So he falls down worshiping the Lord. Abraham could be, could be circumcised, but he could not walk before God blamelessly. There's only one man who ever has and who ever will. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says, Jesus was tempted in every way and yet did not sin. And Jesus alone, therefore, walks blamelessly before the Lord. In being circumcised, Jesus fulfills the covenant made thousands of years before His coming. And Luke chapter 2, verse 21 in today's Gospel is literally the filling up, the completion of that covenant in Jesus. Abraham and Moses do not save. No other name saves. Jesus saves alone. For Jesus is God. Which of course takes us to the second point of the reading. What does Jesus' name mean? I've already said it to you. God saves. And that's not coincidental either that in the circumcision, the name given to Jesus, first given by the angel, Gabriel, back at the Annunciation, is reiterated. God saves. Through this guy. This baby. God saves. That is good news. Unto us a son is born. Unto us he is given. Jesus is the temple of God's holy name. And as I've already mentioned to you on the fourth Sunday of Advent, several thousands of years, God has brought Abraham's, had brought Abraham's descendants into Canaan to live forever. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, King David has resolved to build God a house. You'll remember this from those readings from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. David's intent is good. He's determined after Abraham as his successor, as one of these kings prophesied to build God a house. And David says this, he says, 
Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. David doesn't think it right that God's mercy seat, the ark of the covenant, is sitting in a tent when he's in a palace. And the prophet Nathan agrees with him and tells him, to go forward and build God a temple. But then God intervenes and speaks to Nathan, who then relates to King David. Asking King David, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. And what follows in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is another prophecy where God promises to build David a house. Not a temple house, but a house of a dynasty, a family, a house for himself that will go on forever. And that prophecy, of course, speaks about Solomon, the next king, David's son, who will, in fact, build David his physical temple, but also is looking forward to Jesus, the house where the name of God is glorified. Behold the Lord, the Lord, as we read in Exodus chapter 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and, a tran and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to a third and fourth generation. What's very clear in that passage is that God doesn't just excuse sin. He saves us from it in the temple of the Lord known as Jesus Christ. Again, in this prophecy, God gives King David back in 2 Samuel more than he could ask for or imagine. Not just a physical building where people can come and meet God, but the person of Jesus, the person of God Himself, where people can meet and see and have God be part of them. That is the true meeting place, the true temple. Jesus Christ is the true temple. Not just the fulfillment of the law, but the place where God and men dwell together. Jesus Himself says this in John's Gospel, where He's in front of the temple. You'll recall this passage. He says, destroy this temple, pointing at the temple complex, and I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But He was speaking about the temple of his body, St. John tells us. That's John in chapter 2, if you want to look it up. But it's interesting, that sticks in the craw of the Jewish leaders. It comes up again at Jesus' trial. He said he would destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. Why? For what claim it truly is, dear friends. The temple, the place, is the place where God saves we meet God 
in Jesus. The holy name of Jesus is therefore the means by which God saves those who are repentant. The sacraments and salvation are strange things when you think about it. Common water and oil, blessed in the name of God and applied in accordance with His instructions, take sinners to what Cyril of Jerusalem calls the entrance hall of the king. I loved the fact, and Brian and I didn't coordinate this, but Brian, that last, that last verse of Good Christian Friends Rejoice talks about going into the hall. And that's exactly the words used by Cyril of Jerusalem back in the 300s. That baptism brings us into the entrance hall of the king of the universe. Simple bread and wine once prayed over in Jesus' name in accordance with His words of institution become what St. Ignatius of Antioch, as he's traveling along to his death in the Colosseum, by the way, in the first century, says is the medicine of immortality. What is this water? What is this oil? What is this bread and wine? These common things. And how is it that they're made into instruments of salvation? The name the holy name of Jesus. The holy name of Jesus spoken over them and spoken to God's people. Bring us into the entrance hall to the table to foretaste the heavenly banquet that awaits for all who trust in Jesus' name. And perhaps most amazingly, dear Christian, as the church, you and I participate in Jesus in all three of these ways. Did you know that? In Jesus, you've been made blameless and able to walk before God. Oh, I know, you're a sinner. So am I. But, in Jesus, you've been made blameless and God counts you blameless because of His name. He blesses your way. He gives you to you and prospers your way with abundance and multiplies your efforts. Sometimes it's hard for you to see that, dear friend. I know. Sometimes it's hard for you to see how God's multiplying your efforts, how God's blessing you, how God's prospering you. But He is. He is. And part of the reason it's hard to see it is that we have nothing to contrast it with. But what would your life look like without God in it? You know, now's the season where we watched that wonderful film from Frank Capra, A Wonderful Life. And of course, the whole point of that movie, it's how many years old now, so this isn't a spoiler, is to show him at the end what, his, what life would look without him present in it, right? And he goes around Bedford Falls and, and looks at all the different places and everything's transformed because he wasn't there. How much more would it be for you if God wasn't in your life? If Jesus wasn't your Lord, what would that look like? If we think about it, we should shudder at the thought. We don't know what that life would look like. Praise God that Jesus saves. The holy name of Jesus has made you part of the chosen, but He also makes you part of bearing His name to your friends, to your neighbors to the nations, 
because you've been marked as Christ's own. So, secondly, you and I are a temple for God's name. Now, I've got this one really easy. My last name is Templeton. Guess what that means? The town where God dwells. The town where God dwells. So, I should remember it every time I write my name. I don't. But that's true for all of us as Christians. For your name is Christian. Christian. Christ is very much in it. The New Testament references Christians being the temple of God, a temple of the Holy Spirit. Being united to Jesus makes each individual Christian part of that and a bearer of God's glory. Do you think of yourself that way? You are a bearer of God's glory. You and I are called to be separate and different from the world. To be a holy people set apart for the glory of God. And finally, you and I are called to be bestowers of God's holy name to others. This is even more amazing than the last thing. That you and I are called to be bestowers of salvation to other people. That in our mouths is the possibility for people to encounter the name of Jesus. The holy name that changes everything. That you and I, when we come together, speak the name of Jesus over ordinary water and a baby is brought, or an adult is brought before the very face of God into the entrance hall, into the Holy of Holies. You and I as the church speak together at the altar, going back and forth. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord it's not a show that we watch. It's an action we do together that brings God as food to those who come to this place, to this holy temple mount. Dear friends, do you see the importance not just of the name, but of what the name has made you, of what the name of Jesus has called you for? To be blameless, to be a temple, to be an instrument of salvation. That is truly amazing. The book of Acts in chapter 4 gives us an account of St. Peter and John boldly testifying to this fact before the Sanhedrin. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, declares a truth for all time, saying, and there is salvation in no one else, no other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus. You and I bear that name. We bear His presence. We bear Him as priests and people and we shine forth or we do not. We can open the door to the hall or we cannot. We can wash people with the water of regeneration or we may not. We can anoint people with the oil of gladness, or we may not. We can feed people at the table of our Lord with the bread of angels, or we may not. We have that choice. But let us choose to live and bear the name of Jesus, proclaiming the hope 
that Jesus saves, that God saves, and that we can't fail because He has done so. On this feast of the holy name of Jesus our Lord, dear Christian, remember that we have not just been signed with the holy name of Jesus for our own good, but for the glory of God and the transformation of a people around us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Shall we stand? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Let us pray for the church and the world, saying, Hear our prayer, and kneeling if able. For the peace of the whole world and the well being and unity of the people of God, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For Foley Beach, our Archbishop, for Mark Engel, our Bishop, for Alan Canapel, our Bishop-elect, and for all the clergy and people of our diocese in this congregation, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For all those who proclaim the gospel at home and abroad, and for all who teach and disciple others, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. For our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted for their faith. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. For our nation.